Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Redeemer. I am glad that you are here. In Hebrews chapter 12, we find these words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarded its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Today we set aside all that slows us down. We run with endurance the race before us, keeping our eyes on Christ. Let's take a moment to center our hearts and our minds in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be in your house once again as we strip off every weight that slows us down. Give us the courage to run our race, to endure what is set before us. Feed our hearts and pour into our lives. In these moments ahead, we cast our eyes on you, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. It's in the name of Christ that we pray and everyone said, amen. Well, today we're in week four of our series titled Boiling Point, where we're looking at five different things that took Jesus to his boiling point, five things that made Jesus angry. And by looking at the topics and issues that angered Jesus, we're better able to align our lives and our callings as followers of Jesus Christ in our current culture and our current time. Today we're going to look at a systemic issue that the early Christians in the early church faced and it's also something, an issue that we deal with in our lives today, whether it's an issue that we individually experience and deal with, or we deal with, deal with it with people in our families, or with our friends, or in our workplaces. Today's topic of hard-heartedness or hard-headedness is, a something that we, is something that we all deal with. Now, I need to, to preface today with just an ex explanation that when I say hard-headed, I'm not trying to be insulting to anyone this morning. Um, my understanding of being hard-hearted and hard-headed theologically and spiritually has to do with our head knowledge and our heart response to God. So what we know about God and what we feel and believe. So having a knowledge of Christ and having an experience of Christ. So when I say hard-headed and hard-hearted today, please don't be offended. I'm talking about head knowledge and heart knowledge today. We're going to look in two different stories in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus gets angry at his disciples. We're not going to look today at the crowds or the religious leaders as we have, have in past weeks. Today we're going to look at the closest followers of Jesus. And even the, the first disciple, Peter, who was called on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, who had more growth than the other disciples that needed to happen in his life. And as we examine Jesus' anger at his disciples today, we'll come to realize that God sees things a little bit differently than we do sometimes. Sometimes it's our culture or our expectations or our desires in life which cloud our vision for seeing the world as it is meant to be seen, as God meant it to be. I love listening to children talk about their faith. What does it mean to be a church that has open hearts, open minds, and open doors? If you ask a child, they would have a pretty simple answer. As you heard, it's all based on love. 
But if you ask the same question of an adult, they might think that this phrase of open hearts, open minds, and open doors leads to an entirely different place, where a child might say we are called to love all people, to open the door when Jesus knocks upon our hearts. Others seem to take the conversation in a different direction. Sometimes the ways that adults perceive their faith and spiritual life in the world is is different than the way that a child conceptualizes their faith in the world. For a child, it's all about being open to Jesus. As one child said, being ready to open the door when Jesus knocks on your heart. There used to be a show on CBS uh, called Kids Say the Darndest Things. Anybody remember that show, Kids Say the Darndest Things? On the show, the host would ask kids between the age of three and eight years old a question, and they would respond in typical childlike fashion, often very comedic. We, we know that kids in this age range don't always have the life experience to know that there are some things that you shouldn't say in public. Life experience has not taught them that yet. Here's the kicker, though. Most kids learn what not to say based on the way the world responds to the things that they have said. What I mean is that a child will say what they think or what they believe, and if the world around them criticizes them or cuts them down because of that belief, they may still feel it, and they may still believe it, but they won't say it anymore. And I know from my personal experience with my kids that when I criticize or I comment on a belief that's, that's expressed, often they'll stop saying that belief or their comments. On one hand, there are things that our children say that are inappropriate, and on the other hand, there are beliefs that our children are trying to articulate that if we do not nurture, they will cease to grow. Have you ever regretted cutting someone's thought process off? You see, the world teaches us to not be childlike. The world teaches us that if you cannot articulate your belief, then you should not say what you believe. The world refocuses our minds as we grow in age to say that this is the way you have to be. This is the box that you should operate in if you are a rational human being. And if... And when the conversations about faith and having faith like a child emerge in biblical teaching, we consider it ignorant too childlike to be taken seriously. Closed-minded is the phrase that comes to mind when I think about what we, be- what we become when we stop listening to our children's voices, when we start shutting them down and we don't allow them to explore their faith in real life. Hard-hearted is what we become when we stop, when we step into the box of that reality and say, this is all that I'm going to allow for myself. And while hard-headedness and hard-heartedness may protect us from the influence and criticism of the outside of our box, it also prevents us from growing beyond that reality, beyond that box. Today we're in week four of our series titled Boiling Point. And over the last four weeks we've talked about the different points in time where Jesus got angry. And today we're going to look at another time that Jesus reached his boiling point, and that was when he was confronted with his disciples being hard-hearted. It's so easy to become stubborn in our thought process as it relates to faith and spiritual growth. It's, It's easier to stay within the box 
It's easier to stay within the box of what we know and of what we understand, of what our culture and what our world tells us, of what it says it's supposed to be. But sometimes, sometimes Jesus calls us to get outside of our boxes. Sometimes Jesus calls us to do something more, to think beyond what our world tells us, something beyond what our culture tells us. Sometimes Jesus calls us to open ourselves to new ideas, to different interpretations, and when we refuse to do so, and we get hard-hearted or hard-headed, Jesus reaches his boiling point. And so today we're going to look at the story that inspired this entire series. A few months ago, I was rereading and studying a passage that Pastor Rod taught And as I reread the text, I realized that Jesus was angry. And I noticed all of the exclamation points, and the Holy Spirit was working in me as I was reading. And I said, this is something that I need to share. This is something that we need to hear. Because I didn't realize until that point how emotional Jesus really was and how vital that is to our spiritual lives. And so I want to share you with that text with you today, and I want you to recognize the anger and the emotion that Jesus has in the story. More specifically, I want you to read deeply into the underlying issue of the text and what is happening and why, the why behind Jesus' anger. And so from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, we find this well-known account. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, don't let, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, exclamation point. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. This passage is taught on regularly. Pastor Rod taught on it five or six months ago. We've heard it. We have all heard Jesus say quietly and softly, let the children come to me. But Jesus was very emotional in these moments. He was angry at his disciples. You see, the disciples were acting as gatekeepers to those who could approach Jesus. They were acting like bodyguards to Christ. When the disciples saw the parents trying to bring children to Jesus, they scolded the parents. Don't bring the kids in here. Remember that children had little to no value in society at this time, nor did the women that were most likely carrying them. Jesus responds by getting angry at the disciples, and the text clearly says that he was upset at the disciples. Jesus says, with anger, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, exclamation point. Recognize that Jesus is yelling at his disciples because they've done something that has made him mad, but... What is it that drove Jesus to his boiling point? Was it that Jesus saw value in children and wanted them to be involved? Or was there something more profound at issue here with the disciples that Jesus is trying to address? 
Jesus says that the reason why the disciples should not try to stop the children from coming to him is that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. In essence, what Jesus is saying is that these children have an understanding of what it means to receive and inherit God's kingdom on earth that the adults fail to grasp. You see, the disciples have set standards in their minds and hearts that limit who they believe should have access to Jesus. Which brings us to our first boiling point this morning, limiting God's kingdom. The disciples' hearts are hard and have been hardened due to the culture that they've grown up in. The culture taught them that women had no value. Their culture taught them that children had no place in society. The Jews are pure and holy, set apart. If you are not a Jew, then you're a pagan and you have no value in our society. The Gentiles have no place among you, Jews. This is what their culture has ingrained in them. And this ingraining has hardened their hearts to the openness of what Christ has brought into the world. And when the disciples limited the access to Jesus based on those cultural norms, Jesus got angry. Jesus yelled at his disciples, Don't stop them. Let the children come to me. It's as though Jesus is saying, don't prevent people from experiencing my love and my grace because of what your culture tells you about them, because my love is greater than the social standards of your culture. The hard-heartedness of the disciples, the closed-mindedness of the disciples, it took Jesus to his boiling point. But this is not the best example. This is not the best example of how miffed our Messiah became with closed-mindedness. There's a better example, a more vibrant story that demonstrates just how angry Jesus really got at his disciples when they failed to see with kingdom eyes. In the chapter before this event with the children, as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, we find another story of Jesus getting angry at the first disciple, Peter, who was called at the shore of Galilee while he was fishing. And so from Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23, we find this story. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you! Exclamation point. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan! You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. This is the most incredible story of Jesus' anger in the Gospels for me. I want you to understand the intensity with which this conversation is taking place. In, in, the, in the lineup of the gospel, this moment is the transition point where Jesus turns towards Jerusalem. So up until this point, Jesus has been doing ministry and has been building this ministry and been building ministry, and now it's time to go to Jerusalem, which means it's time to go to the cross. And Peter has a problem with that. Jesus tells his disciples, 
that he's going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. He said he's going to be killed and he's going to be raised from the dead. And Jesus, and Jesus predicts the most fantastic and amazing event that's going to happen in human history that still affects us today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The biggest event in history. Jesus is going to be killed, and on the third day he's going to be raised from the dead. However, that's not what Peter hears. Peter hears Jesus say that he's going to be killed by the religious leaders. But he fails to hear Jesus say that he's going to be raised from the dead. Or he didn't believe Jesus would be raised from the dead in the first place. Either way, instead of being amazed by this incredible work that God is going to do, Peter takes Jesus aside and reprimands him. Can you imagine reprimanding Jesus? The word reprimand also means to, to revoke, to scold, to finger wave, wag, to berate, to criticize, or to lecture. Peter pulls Jesus, the Messiah, the living Son of God, away from the disciples and reprimands him. He scolds him. He finger waves him. He lectures him. He criticizes and berates Jesus. In my mind's eye, I see Peter grabbing Jesus by the shoulders and saying, Heaven forbid it! This will never happen to you! No? Maybe it's just me. That's the way I see it in my head. The only thing that he has heard in this, in this is that Jesus says he's going to die. The leaders are going to kill him. Which brings us to our next boiling point, listening without hearing. The first reason why Jesus reaches his boiling point is because Peter is not hearing what Jesus is saying. Peter reprimands Jesus because he doesn't believe that Jesus should die. He doesn't think that Jesus should go to Jerusalem. He wants Jesus to be king of the Jews, and he wants to inherit all the power and money that would come with Jesus' kinship, kingship. But Jesus tells the disciples that his death will, be the, will not be the end, and instead that he will be risen from the dead. And if you and I were there, and Jesus said that he were going to die, and that he was going to be raised from the dead, which point would you more focus more intently on? Would you be focused on the fact that he is going to die, a reality that we all face? Or would you, be, would you concentrate more intently on this idea that somehow God is going to raise Jesus Christ back from the dead? I don't understand how Peter didn't realize what, that there was more going on here because Jesus clearly stated that there was more going on here. I just don't get it. But I do get it because I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I hear the first part, and I get sidetracked in the details, and I miss the second part. Have you ever been listening to someone and heard the first part, but failed to hear the main point because you got so caught up in the details of the first part? Have you ever missed the point because you failed to hear the whole thing? Because this is what happened to Peter. He listened to Jesus, but he failed to hear the fullness of what Jesus intended for him, and that's where Peter got stuck, and that's where we also get stuck. We have to listen and we have to hear. Our third boiling point this morning 
is having limited vision. And Peter struggled with this too, which I've hit upon just a moment ago. When Peter became so focused on his own interests and on his own desires that he missed God's purpose in the situation, Jesus says to Peter, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. You see, Peter is so focused on what he can get from Jesus, what Jesus can do for him, and what, that he misses the point that Jesus, he misses the point of what Jesus has for him in the world. Peter is riding on the coattails of Christ and is becoming popular, and if Jesus dies as he says he is going to, then he loses everything. Peter's going to lose his livelihood. He's going to lose his place in society. He's going to lose his status. If Jesus dies, then Peter loses all of the material things that he has been focused on. Peter can only see from his, from his human point of view. But Jesus is asking Peter to look with a different vision, to look beyond it. The most telling point of this event that we, that we can't overlook this morning is, is truly how angry Jesus gets. Jesus is infuriated in this moment. He is so mad, he calls Peter Satan. Ask yourself, how mad would you have to be to call someone Satan? Maybe not a good example, I know some of you. Uh, Jesus, the living Son of God, God incarnate, God among us, God becoming flesh, says that Peter, his first chosen disciple, is Satan. This is the epitome of the worst thing you could call someone from Jesus' point of view. It's not a simple phrase. It is the worst association possible. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, exclamation point. It's as though Jesus is telling Peter, your limited vision, Peter, and your inability to see beyond to what God has in store for the world makes you like Satan. Because that's what Satan does, Peter. Satan limits your vision, clouds your perception so that you can't see what it is that God has in store for you and for the world. You see, when we're unable to see what God has in store for us, when our vision is clouded by our humanness, by our materialism, by our consumerism, by our selfish, hard-headed, or hard-heartedness, we are acting as though we're Satan in the world. We're listening, but we're not hearing, or we're listening and hearing the wrong voice. We see, but we only see with limited vision. We see things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. But lucky for us, Jesus gives a remedy for the situation. Fortunately for us, Jesus does not abandon Peter when he's made this horrible mistake. Instead, Jesus offers a solution. In fact, Jesus is the solution. Sorry to spoil the ending. It's okay, you don't have to laugh at all the jokes. Putting limits on God's kingdom, limiting or listening without hearing, and having a limited vision took Jesus to his boiling point. But Jesus doesn't just get mad and then storm out of the room. Jesus went on to teach the disciples what they needed to know to combat this hard headedness, this hard heartedness. 
because that's how much Jesus loves us. He just doesn't give us a reprimand and then, and then leave. He, he tells us what we need to do about it. And so a few verses later in Matthew 16, Jesus tells the disciples how they can fix it. Here's how you don't be hard-hearted. Here's how you don't be hard-headed. In Matthew 16, 24 through 27, Jesus gives, the, gives these well-known words. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you, wanna, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Jesus gave us the prescription of how we are called to heal our hearts, to break away from the hardness of heart and mind that binds us. If we want to be followers of Jesus, not just fans of Jesus, not just bystanders in this game of faith, but devoted followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself simply said, you have to give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, Peter had a limited vision. He listened to Jesus' words, but he didn't honestly hear what was meant for him in his life. Sometimes we have limited vision of who we are called to be and what we're called to do in this world. Our vision gets so focused on the things that we can obtain, our status, our money, and our power, and our drive for success. Sometimes our faith is captivated by that desire. And instead of listening and hearing Jesus' words for us to be and to do, we listen and hear only the words that feed our passions in life. Jesus said that if we want to be his followers, we have to give up our own way to take up our own cross and to follow him. And Jesus said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? You see, if our lives are all about us and about all that we have and can do, then we miss the point of our existence. And that's that place where Peter was stuck, where it was all about him and all about his existence. You see, Jesus got angry at Peter in a way that he had, never got angry he had never got angry again in the Gospels when Peter listened but failed to hear, when Peter couldn't see God's vision and was blinded by his own, Jesus told Peter to get behind him and called him Satan. Do you think that Jesus gets angry at us when we listen to his words but we fail to hear him? Do you think Jesus gets mad at us when our humanness blinds us and prevents us from seeing the world as God meant the world to be? What if we not only listened to Jesus' words, but we heard them in our lives? What if, what if we didn't just read the Bible or a devotional, but we, we began to embody God's word in our day-to-day -day life? What if we stop seeing the world as our culture tells us it's supposed to be and instead we started to look at our society the way that God created it to be, the way that God meant it to be? What if we, the followers of Jesus Christ, started to see the world as God sees it? Do you think it would make a difference? 
Do you think it would change anything? We're going to take a few moments to reflect. And as we watch and listen to this song, I want you to ask yourself, what would your, li- what would your life look like if you began to see the world as God sees the world, if you began to see the world as God meant the world to be? We each have a choice. We can choose to see the world as the world tells us to see it, or we can choose to see the world that our Heavenly Father meant it to be. We can choose to open our hearts and our minds to Jesus. We can choose to be hard-hearted and hard-headed. Peter decided to open his mind to what Jesus had for him. And Peter went on to do marvelous works for the kingdom. But Peter needed the hard reality that he was misguided and that he had lost focus on what was most important and what God had for him. Peter needed the redirection of Christ. And maybe, just maybe, we do too. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Jesus got angry at Peter. Jesus got mad at his disciples. Let's learn from their mistakes and grow and become the men and women of God that we are called to be. Let's open our eyes to see the world as God sees the world, as God meant the world to be. Let's be the people that don't need to be reprimanded by Jesus because we intentionally give up our way, because we intentionally pick up our cross, and because we choose, we willingly choose to follow Christ wherever he leads us in this life. Let's pray together. God who sees us and the world in a way that sometimes we struggle to see. Unveil our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to see the world as you see it. Open our ears to not only hear your word, but to hear you calling us to greater things. Not greater things in our minds, but greater things in your kingdom. Give us the courage to let go of our ways and to take up our cross and to follow you each day. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ, that we pray, and everyone said, Amen.